The following audio is from Citizens Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. If you're interested in getting involved with our family, visit citizenscharlotte.com connect. Today's teaching text is from Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, hey, it's good to be with you. If you've got a Bible, uh, go to that passage Carla just read for us, Matthew 28. That's where we're going to be hanging out uh, tonight, Matthew 28. If we have not met before, uh, my name is Tim. I'm one of the pastors here. Really excited to continue our series on Do What Jesus Did as we think about what it looks like to follow him as disciples of Christ. Um, let me pray for us before we get into God's word. And, and actually, before we do that, uh, I think it'd be fitting uh, that maybe, like me, you have lived a lot of life today and a lot of life this week. And I don't know the intricacies of your story or the past seven days for you, uh, but I know what it is to be human and what it is to live and to go through the ups and downs of life. And so I just want to give us space. I'm going to pray for us in just a second, but I just want to give us space to do something that uh, the world and our society doesn't have room for anymore, which is to be silent to sit with the Lord. Uh, Maybe you'd find it helpful to just open your hands in a a posture to let your your body physically do what your heart wants to do, open before the Lord. And and I just invite you to receive the invitation of the scriptures to cast your cares on our good Savior, the one we just sang about. So I'm going to give you a few minutes, a few moments to be silent before the Lord, to give him whatever's on your heart, any distractions, any anxiety, any worry, any fear. And then I'll pray and we'll get started. Lord, we invite your presence among us. And we pray that in full awareness that you're already here. And there's, there's nowhere we go that you are not present. God, but in praying that, we ask that you would open our hearts to you. That you would open our hearts to the work of your spirit. Your word, your scriptures, your truth would do what they have done for thousands of years. They would take root in our lives. They would change us and shape us and mold us by the power of your spirit. Lord, your name is power. Your name is healing. Your name is life. So we surrender to you. We love you. We pray all these things in Christ's name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Matthew 28, verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some 
doubted. So just to make sure you know where we are in the story, we are post-death on the cross, three days in the grave and resurrection of Jesus, but pre what is called the ascension. So in just a few moments, Jesus is about to ascend, to go up to the right hand of the throne of God, where for the past 2,000 years, he has been living and ruling and reigning. And right before he does that, he calls his 11 closest followers, disciples to him, and he gives them this command. Verse 18, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, which is a game-changing reality, right? Like if we could just sit on that for a minute, that all authority in heaven and on earth is Christ Jesus. He owns it all. He is over all things. He is through all things. He is in all things and before all things. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. So go therefore and make disciples of all nations. So Jesus comes to these 11, these guys he's been discipling for the past three years, teaching and leading and training and shepherding, and he gives them this direct charge, go make disciples. Go take everything that you've seen in me and you've learned from me and you've watched me do and teach others to follow me as well. And then he says where they're to do this, in and of all nations. So Jesus' ministry was primarily focused among Jewish people in the regions of Galilee and Judea. But now he says, you disciples, go take this good news, take this message, take the invitation of discipleship to the ends of the earth. Then he continues on to give them instructions on what this means. So go make disciples is the charge. Then he gives them kind of guiding instructions. Here's what that entails. Two different verbs. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Notice, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus begins the invitation and the commission with all authority belongs to me. And he ends with, I am with you always and for all time. And in that, he invites them, the charge is go make disciples. What throughout church history has been called and known as the Great Commission, that all of us as followers of Jesus are to go and make other followers of Jesus, to invite other people to follow him. And he includes two verbs as a part of that. The first is to baptize. So the first part of making disciples is to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the second is to teach, namely teaching to observe and to obey all that Jesus has commanded. And we're going to deal with these two over the next two weeks. So next week we're going to look at teaching. What does it mean to teach others to obey Jesus? Really excited about that. But tonight I just want to deal with the first part, which is baptizing. What we're calling as a practice for this series, preaching the gospel. Preaching the gospel. Now, first things first, let me deal with, hopefully, the obvious question on your mind. How do we get from Jesus saying baptize to us saying preaching the gospel? Now, to understand this, you have to understand what baptism is. What does it actually mean to be baptized? Well, our English word, baptism, comes from the Greek word Jesus actually uses here in Matthew 28, baptizo, which means to dip or to literally immerse under water. If I give us a simple definition, baptism is this. Baptism is an outward physical expression of an inward spiritual reality. 
Baptism is an outward physical expression. Someone is immersed. They're put under the water and brought back up as a picture, a symbol of an inward spiritual reality, namely salvation in Christ Jesus, that someone has put their faith, their hope, their trust in Jesus, been forgiven of sins, washed clean, reconciled to God. A little bit longer of a definition. This comes from the New City Catechism. They say, baptism is the washing with water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It signifies and seals our adoption into Christ, our cleansing from sin, and our commitment to belong to the Lord and to his church. So here's what happens in baptism. So from all the way back in Genesis chapter 17, God has given his people a symbol or a sign of his covenant relationship to them. So in the Old Testament, if you were born into the family of God, which in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, the, old, the, the family of God was the Israelites, right? The descendants, the sons and daughters of Abraham. And your sign, if you were born into that family, into that lineage, was circumcision. I'm very sorry for those people. If you were born, that's a joke, guys, come on. If you were born as a son of Abraham, that carried with it spiritual realities, and the sign and, and symbol for those spiritual realities was the, the, excuse me, the physical sign of circumcision. In the New Testament, if someone is born into the family of God that is saved, right, put their faith in Jesus, turn from their sin, put all of their trust in him, that he's Savior and Lord, available to all, regardless of background, ethnicity, or heritage, the sign for that is water baptism. If you are born now as a child of God, that carries with it spiritual realities, and baptism is the physical sign and symbol of that. Think of it like a wedding ring, right? For those of you guys that are married or getting married, right? A wedding ring doesn't make you married, but it is a symbol to the world, a sign that you are married. And baptism is the same function. Baptism doesn't save you. It doesn't make you a child of God. It is a sign or a symbol that you are, in fact, a child of God. Paul writes it this way in Colossians 2. He says this, In him you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So... If baptism is a sign of conversion, a sign of faith in Christ, then what Jesus has in mind here when he tells his disciples to go baptize is not to get a bunch of people wet under the water. What he has in mind here is to go lead people to salvation in him. That people would be saved, saved from their sin, saved from the just and righteous wrath of God, saved from themselves, which then leads to another question we have to ask. How are people saved? What does Paul say in Romans 10? Look at it with me. Romans 10, 13. He says this, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then he goes into some questions. But how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So if you track Paul's questions as statements, he says this, to be saved, you must believe the gospel. And to believe the gospel, you must hear the gospel. And to hear the gospel, someone must tell you the gospel. And in order for someone to tell you the gospel, they must be sent to tell you the gospel. 
Now here's the good news. We already are. We said this a few weeks ago. If you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are sent. Jesus commissions all of his disciples in Matthew 28. Go make disciples, baptizing and teaching. But that's not just for the 11. That's for all who would follow him. In fact, this commissioning is such a big deal and so central to our call as disciples of Christ, it actually shows up in every single one of the four Gospels. So here in Matthew 28, we have Jesus telling his disciples, go make disciples. But look at these other passages. Mark 16, 15 says this. He said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Or Acts 1.8, which is Luke's kind of two-part gospel. Luke wrote both Luke, the gospel, and Acts is kind of a two-parter. This is what he says in Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Or consider John 20, verse 21. Jesus said to them, again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. This is the work we are called to do. As Christ followers, we are called to step into the world preaching the good news of the gospel. And it is the very work we see Christ doing here on earth. Christ spends quite a bit of time in his earthly ministry preaching and proclaiming the gospel. But what's fascinating is if you hone in on what preaching the gospel or evangelism, as it's commonly called today, what it looked like for Jesus often looks much different than what it looks like for us. I think for most of us, at least functionally, we tend to think about preaching the gospel or evangelism as uh, really in the words of my non-Christian neighbor who grew up in church and deconstructed his faith a few years ago, quote, evangelism is awkwardly selling something nobody wants. Do you ever feel that way? Evangelism is awkwardly selling something nobody wants. I remember a few years ago when Lindsay and I moved to, to Charlotte, we did something I've never done before and will probably never do again. We went to a real furniture store. So we needed a, a used couch. That was our goal. We don't have a budget for a new one. Let's get a used couch. But this was like peak COVID time where Facebook Marketplace was just eaten up. Like you couldn't get anything because everyone was changing homes, changing apartments. They were all buying new furniture because we were all working from home. And that's what you did. And Ikea was sold out because of supply chain issues. And it was just a rough time to get furniture. And so we went to a furniture store. And if you've never been to a furniture store, it is uh, comparably probably worse than buying a used car, right? You walk in and the minute you step foot into a furniture store, you're like hounded. They just run up to you. What do you need? What's your name? How can I help? And that's not like a judgment statement. That's what they're paid to do. That's their livelihood, not a critique, just an observation. That's what happens. And so we walk into the furniture store and this guy immediately beelines for us. And he's like, Hey, what's your names? How can I help? And we said, we need a used couch. And he says, Oh, I'm really sorry. I actually know we don't have any. Two days ago, we sold our last one. And you would think our response is like, Hey, no worries. It sounds good. We're going to go somewhere else, right? Wrong. He proceeded then for 20 minutes, no joke, to try to sell us a brand new recliner. We went in for a used couch and we spent 20 minutes hearing a sales pitch on a new recliner. And here's the deal the posture so many of us take towards evangelism. Particularly, I think, in the post-Christian, post-truth, you-do-you secular West, is to imagine evangelism as being furniture salesmen trying to sell new recliners to someone looking for a used couch. We think, yeah, you don't really want this though, right? 
Like, hypothetically, maybe, have you ever considered potentially possibly putting your faith in Jesus? What if I give you, like, a really sweet discount? I know we've got bad reviews, especially lately, of what it means to be a whole Christian thing, an evangelical, let's not even go there. Like, what if maybe would you ever possibly consider it? But for Jesus, the gospel was not something to be pitched or sold by the Christian for the consideration of the lost. The gospel for Jesus was a reality to be declared leading to the repentance of sinners. Let me say that again. For Jesus, the gospel was not something to be pitched or sold by the Christian for the consideration of the lost. The gospel was a reality to be declared leading to the repentance of sinners. We see that in Mark chapter 1. So turn over one page in your Bible, but back to the beginning of the life of Jesus. This is a fantastic summary from Mark of what Jesus means when he is preaching the gospel. Mark's going to give us a summary of Jesus preaching, and this is what he says. Mark 1, verse 14. Now after John was arrested, that's John the Baptist, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, so here's his summary of what Jesus means when he says the gospel, quote, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. So after his baptism, Jesus has been baptized. He spent 40 days in the wilderness fasting, being tempted by the devil. He goes into Galilee, starting his earthly ministry, preaching, announcing, proclaiming, quote, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. It has arrived. It is among us. So repent and believe. In other words, for Jesus, preaching the gospel meant declaring the good news of the arriving kingdom of God. For Jesus, preaching the gospel meant declaring the good news of the arriving kingdom of God. That is the gospel to Jesus. The kingdom of God is at hand. Now, in order for this to carry the weight that it should, you have to understand what is happening culturally when Jesus shows up on the scene in Galilee in Mark chapter 1. So in today's society, the word gospel is almost strictly a Christian or religious term. But in the first century, in the time of Jesus, that word gospel or euangelion in the Greek or good news, as it's often translated, it actually wasn't a religious word at all. It was a political word. The gospel was a term used by the Romans in the Roman Empire for the heralding or proclamation of good news across the kingdom. Typically, this good news was about a great event, such as the enthronement of a new emperor or his victory in a war or a new era of peace. To put it simply, the gospel in ancient Rome was a kingdom declaration of joy. For instance, let me give you a little 11th grade history class refresher, all right? 44 BC, just about four decades before Jesus shows up on the scene, the most famous Roman of all time, Julius Caesar, was assassinated. It's recounted in my favorite, and I would argue the best of Shakespeare's plays, Julius Caesar, if you remember that, right? Et tu brute, then die Caesar, beware beware the Ides of March. You can borrow my copies, plural. And Caesar's death kicked off a civil war between his enemies, four of them vying for power, Brutus, Cassius, Mark Antony, and Octavian. 
And eventually, after years and years of fighting and brutality and suffering, Brutus and Cassius are killed, and Mark Antony ran off to Egypt with Cleopatra. And the one left standing to claim the throne of Rome was Octavian, Caesar's adopted nephew. And he becomes, after he takes the throne, a really, really big deal in the world at that time. So much so that a few years later, the Roman Senate actually gives Octavian the title Caesar Augustus, and they declare him, quote, the Deus Filius, or the son of God. He was called in that time Lord and Savior and Prince of Peace. For example, one inscription found a few years ago by an archaeologist reads, quote, the birthday of the God, Caesar Augustus, was the beginning for the world of the glad tidings or good news that has come to men through him, which for the record is almost an exact line for line of Mark 1, 1. These types of inscriptions inscriptions have been found all over the ancient Mediterranean world. And Octavian, in response to his new rule and reign across the empire, then sent out evangelists or preachers to the far reaches of the empire to spread his euangelion or gospel. The message that Octavian was not just a man, but he was Lord, and he had defeated the rebels, established his throne, and had come to be the one true savior who will usher in a worldwide rule of peace and justice, and hope. Sound familiar? It was a few years later that Octavian finally actually got to go back to Rome after years of cleaning up from the war, because that's what happened in the ancient world. When he arrived back to Rome, those on the wrong side, those who didn't want him to rule, those who were enemies of Octavian and his empire, had to decide if they were going to, quote, repent and believe his gospel, meaning acknowledge him as the Lord and submit the totality of their lives under his rule and reign. Here's the deal. A few decades later, King Jesus in Nazareth arrives on the scene, bringing not Octavian's gospel, but the true gospel, the good news of the one true king, that King Jesus, the real true son of God, has arrived and has brought with him the eternal and forever kingdom, a new rule and reign of peace and hope and healing and redemption and justice under the rule and reign of God available to all who would, quote, repent and believe. That's the preaching of the gospel. The kingdom of God is at hand, bringing with it all of the beautiful realities our souls long for and crave, bringing with it deep restoration for the dark places of our hearts, bringing with it reconciliation and redemption to all that is broken in the world. And so what do we do? We repent. We acknowledge Jesus as Lord. We turn from thinking we run our own lives to acknowledging him as king, and we believe, meaning we submit the totality of our lives under his rule and reign. My favorite quote on evangelism, my favorite quote on mission speaks just to this. This is from a guy named David Bosch, and he says this. He says, mission or evangelism or preaching the gospel is more and different from our recruitment to our brand of religion. It is alerting people to the universal reign of God through Christ is alerting people to the universal reign of God through Christ. Or consider this from Mortimer Arius. He says, every generation has to be evangelized. That is, confronted with the good news of the kingdom in Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus comes doing, preaching the gospel. And this is what he sends us out to do, announcing, heralding, proclaiming the kingdom of God is at hand. So then the question becomes, what does this look like? 
right? In our everyday life, if you're like, okay, I'm on board, that sounds awesome, announcing, alerting people to the universal reign of God through Christ, what, is, what do I do? How do I actually preach the gospel? Am I just like at the neighborhood cookout and someone's like, do you want cheese on your burger? And I'm like, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Like, is that what I'm supposed to do? Probably not. You can try it. Let me know how it goes. Here's the goal. The goal is declaring the good news of the kingdom of God into the world, right? That the king has come, forgiveness of sins, eternal life with God, redemptive healing and hope are on offer. So it's learning to speak the gospel into the lives of those around us. Learning to announce and herald the kingdom of God to our neighbors and our coworkers and our family and our friends. And so what I want to do for the rest of our time is I just want to give us a really simple tool and practice for that. And I'm going to give you just some examples of what this might look like in your life. And this is actually a practice, a tool we use in our community groups to encourage other Christians that I actually think has deep missional implications as well. And that tool is this, gospel fluency. Gospel fluency. It's our missional practice as we think about preaching the gospel. We don't just want to be people who hear the word, but do the word. And gospel fluency means what it says. It means learning to be fluent or to speak the language of the gospel in our everyday lives. Learning to ask and answer the question, how does the beauty of the gospel speak into the life of the person right in front of me? As we're at the brewery, as we're at the coffee shop, as we're over for dinner, on the run, all the stuff Garrison talked about last week, right? As we're eating and drinking and living life with those far from God, I'm asking good questions, I'm building deep friendships, I'm caring and serving and loving this person, looking for ways to speak the gospel into their lives. Because here's the deal, the gospel has both 30,000 feet generic realities that must be embraced and must be accepted. All of us are sinners in need of a savior. All of us need forgiveness from Jesus. All of us must be reconciled to God. But it also has individual and specific realities for our lives as well, does it not? So how might this look? Let me just give you a few examples, hypotheticals, um, that you might see this in your life and what it might look like to preach the gospel in those moments. Number one, uh, you're having coffee with a new mom friend. You met at your kid's school or daycare at the park, and you're just getting to know each other, hanging out, and you're asking, hey, how are you doing? Like, you got a toddler, I got a toddler, toddlers are tough, right? And she's sharing some struggles she has, and she's feeling like a failure, right? And she says something like, being a mom is who I am now, and I feel like I'm not living up to all that should entail. I just feel like I'm constantly failing at my role. She asks you because you're friends. Hey, do you ever feel that way? And option A would be like, yeah, isn't that tough? Like, being a mom is hard. And that's not bad. Empathy is a good thing. That's not a wrong way to answer. But preaching, in that, preaching the gospel in that moment could look something like saying, you know, I do. I feel like I'm constantly not measuring up, that I'm never good enough. Can I actually share with you what's been helpful for me? You see, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. And that means a lot of things. But one of the things that it means is that my ultimate identity is not mom, but child of God which means I'm free to fail, and I'm free to fail often because I'm unconditionally and forever loved by the God of the universe based on his son Jesus, not based on me. Have you ever heard of this truth before? Would you like to know more? Or maybe you're hanging out with a new coworker. You're on a run together. You work together. You found out they live a few streets over from you. They're new to the city, and so they're asking how it's going, being in a new place away from family and friends, and they say something like, you know, it's really hard. Charlotte's a tough city to meet new people in. And after COVID and remote work, I just feel like nobody really wants to make new friends anymore. I'm lonely and honestly starting to feel kind of depressed. And then they ask you, was it that way for you when you first moved here? Now you could answer, yeah, Charlotte, woo, tough. That's fine. 
Or maybe preaching the gospel in that moment could look something like saying, you know, it was. It's hard, and honestly, it's still pretty difficult. And I've, I found some good community at church. It's still kind of hard loving them, but I'm starting to feel like I have a place. But even better than that, in the past few years of loneliness, I've experienced a belonging even more beautiful, even more rich, even more lasting than simply having the right friends. I've experienced being loved by Jesus. And the Bible tells me that he calls me his friend, and that through belief or through faith in him that he'll never leave me or turn his back on me. Have you heard about that Jesus before? Do you have any experience with that? Or maybe it's someone in your life who's not having a hard time. Maybe you're eating dinner with some new neighbors and you're just hanging out and you ask about their past weekend and it sounds like everything is awesome in their life. They went on some cool vacation, they're doing some fun things, everything's kind of good. And they ask, because they're good friends, hey, how was your weekend? And instead of responding, you know, farmer's market, hung out with some friends, went to the Panthers game, mowed the lawn, you know, the usual, which is fine if you did all those things. But what if we say that as an opportunity to preach the gospel? What if we say something like, you know, a big part of our weekend is actually going to church. This past Sunday was awesome. The pastor preached the greatest sermon ever. <laughs> Thank you. And he talked about this idea called the gospel, that everything is broken in our lives and in our hearts and in our world, but through Jesus it can be made right. I wonder, do you guys go to church anywhere? Do you guys have any experience or background in the Christian faith? And in all of this, every one of those examples and more that you're probably thinking about from your own life, the goal is declaring the good news of the kingdom into the lives of those you're eating and drinking with, you're caring for, you're loving, and you're serving, and you're present with. Learning to declare the beauty of the gospel in such a way that captivates their attention and calls for a response. Here's a couple of things to note, and then I actually want to give us just some space to pray. A couple of things to note, and these are all going to be on our practice guide that we have on our series page on our, our website as well. Number one is don't declare the gospel as if it's already true for them, but as potentially true for them. So as you're interacting with someone who doesn't love Jesus and you're caring for them and serving them and asking questions, don't declare the gospel as if it's already true, but declare it as potentially true, that what's on, what you have received is on offer for them. Forgiveness, welcome, belonging, reconciliation to God. And second, don't declare the blessings without the surrender. I love Jesus in Mark chapter 1. Repent and believe the gospel. Not just believe, but repent. There's a surrender. When, Mark, when uh, Octavian shows back up to Rome, they can't just say, yeah, we liked you, sorry. There's a repentance that has to happen. There's a declaration that I thought I was king. I thought I was ruler. I thought I was Lord. But Jesus is. And that's what happens in the proclamation of the gospel. So here's how I want to end. I just want to give us some time and some space before we take communion together like we always do. Uh, I just want to give us some space to think about the people in our lives. If you're a follower of Jesus, uh, hopefully you were here last week and, and, and Garrison gave you an, a chance to think through some names of people you're eating with and drinking with, you're spending time with, folks you want to build relationships with for the sake of the gospel. So maybe you have these names already or maybe you need to come up with some new names, but I just want to give a space to pray and to think about, okay, who are two or three people and what would it look like for me over the course of this week or this month to speak the good news of the kingdom of God into their life? What would it look like for me to bring the gospel to bear in what I know they're going through? Maybe it's 
I need to ask some questions. I need to know what they're going through. Maybe it's for you, I need to live honestly about what the Lord is speaking and, and doing in my life. Maybe it's I need to press and I need to invite them to actually believe. We've had a lot of conversations, but I've never actually taken the step to say, hey, do you want to be a follower of Jesus? So I want to give us some space. If you're, if you're not a Christian in the room, then I would challenge you to actually use this time to consider the gospel message for yourself. To consider that Jesus would come into the middle of your life, that you're not here by accident, you're here by the sovereignty of God. The declaration of the kingdom for you, and the invitation would be the kingdom of heaven is at hand, so repent and believe. So I would invite you, as those of us who follow Jesus in the room are thinking about how to engage our neighbors and family and coworkers and friends with the gospel, for you to be engaged with the gospel yourself. And to consider what it would look like for you to repent and believe even tonight. So I'm going to give us just a few minutes to pray, to be with the Lord, and then I'll come back up and I'll lead us in communion. You guys can do that now. I'm going to invite you to stand as we move into our time of response uh, through taking communion together. You should have the packets on your seats. This is something we do every Sunday to remember sacrifice of Jesus on the cross on our behalf. If you're a follower of Jesus, we invite you to take communion with us. If you're not a Christian, this is one of the things we'd ask you not to participate in because you'd be saying this is true about you when it's just not yet. Like I just talked about, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You today can repent and believe the gospel and receive forgiveness and welcome in Christ Jesus. I'll be down front like I am every Sunday. would love to talk to you about what it means to follow Christ. But for all who are in Christ, for all who are followers of him, on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took a loaf of bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body given for you. And church, every time we eat this little wafer, we remember the body of Christ on the cross on our behalf for the forgiveness of sins. So take and eat. In the same way, he took a cup of wine after supper, and he said, this cup is the cup of the new covenant, sealed by the shedding of my blood. Every time you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you're announcing, remembering, celebrating the Lord's death until he returns. And so we drink this juice, remembering the blood of Jesus, spilled to wash us clean and make us new. So church, take and drink. Just a minute, I'm going to pray for us. We've got our prayer team in the back who would love to pray with you and for you about anything going on, any way that you need prayer. And the rest of us, we're going to sing and respond and celebrate Jesus together. Let's pray. God, thank you for your kindness to us. And thank you for your goodness. God, thank you that Jesus shows up on the scene, not declared by Rome as the Son of God, not declared by the Pharisees as the Son of God, but declared as he always has been from eternity past to eternity present to eternity future, the Son of God. And that he comes living perfectly the life we could not live, yet goes to the cross to take our penalty that we in our sins deserved, dies and yet doesn't stay dead, that the grave could not hold him, but rose again. Declares it is finished. Declares that all that is wrong and all that is broken in our world will one day be redeemed. And putting on offer for us, all who would trust in him, salvation, forgiveness of sins, and life forever with you. So God, I pray that you would make us a gospel people, that people that are not ashamed of your good news, the people that are not 
fearful of the opinions of others, people that are not too lazy or apathetic to join you in the work you've been doing for thousands of years, God, but we would take serious the call that every generation needs to be evangelized that is confronted with the reality of the good news of your kingdom. Because your kingdom is at hand. And you walk among us. So would you send us by the power of your spirit into our neighborhoods, into our offices, into our homes, into our families, into the coffee shops, into the gyms, into the markets, the grocery stores, announcing and declaring the good news of the kingdom of God. Lord, we love you. We need you. For all these things in Christ's name, amen.